Welcome back to New Rockstars. This is The Big Question, the show that gives you too much information on the paternal merits of the MCU cast. That's right, here at New Rockstars, we celebrate Father's Day all year round. And today, we are ranking some MCU daddies. My name is MT, and I'm here today with someone you may have seen on recent episodes of The Break Room, our very own researcher, Anna. What's going on, Anna? so excited to be here. I am even more excited to be on the MCU Dad episode because, uh, you know, around the office, they, they call me the resident daddy expert. Oh, 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 oh. wow. Well, I mean, do they actually call you that? I mean. No, no, no one calls me that. No one calls me. We can, we can start if you want. but <laughs> Start the petition. Please sign the petition. Yes. Please. Well, we just missed Father's Day this year, but it got me thinking about all the dads in the MCU, be it biological, adoptive, or otherwise. And there are some really great paternal figures in the movies, but there are also some really, really bad ones. Which leads us to this week's big question, who is the worst daddy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Ooh. Now, MT, there are so many dads in so the MCU. So many daddies. So I feel like we've gotta narrow the scope just a little bit and rate maybe the worst 10? Yeah, I think that's good. I, I agree with that. And to make it quantifiable, we're going to do a point system. So I've decided on six categories that I feel represent what qualities a good dad should have. And those are love for their kids. Like, do they actually love their kids? Treatment of their kids. How do they treat their offspring? And involvement with their kids. How involved they were in, in all their kids' lives. Their emotional availability. How receptive and open they are to their children's emotions. And we also have dependability. Could their kids rely on them to be there when they needed it? And finally, we have role model potential. Uh, dad jokes isn't a category? I wish I thought of that, um, but I'm not too sure about that one. <laughs> I'm not too sure about that one. I'm Anna. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I wish you were my dad, Anna. I wish you were my father. Let's sign the papers. <laughs> Let's sign the papers today. <laughs> All right, uh, but anyways, we're gonna rate each contestant one to five in each of these categories, and whoever has the lowest number at the end will be deemed our worst daddy of the day. I've abandoned my child! And also, a note at the top, we're not taking the comics into consideration here because, you know, it's the movie, movies only. There's just too many bad dads in the comics, so let's just stick to the MCU, all right? All right, let's do it, I'm ready. MT, do you have any papas you wanna start out with? Um, yeah, because we gotta start off with one of the main Avengers dads who we were told right off the bat wasn't the best dad at all, Howard Stark, the original daddy of the MCU. Howard Stark, as we all know, is Tony Stark's dad. And while he has already passed away by the time we meet Tony Stark, it's clear that his father left a pretty big impact on him and not necessarily in a good way. In Iron Man 2, Tony describes his dad as cold and calculating and says his dad's happiest day was when he shipped Tony off to boarding school. This is not very cool. Um, and later on in the movie, we get glimpses into Howard Stark's life where he's entirely focused on his work, has an implicit drinking problem and interacts with young Tony with a callous disposition. He is, however, told by his mother that his dad misses him when he's gone and Tony later discovers footage of his father saying that he's doing all of this work for him and that Tony is his greatest creation. But is it a little bit too late to rack up those good dad points? Ugh, fluff, I don't know. I mean, like, old bark, no bite does not a healthy child make. And by, yeah. Well, like, all love bark, no... Love bite? Forget it. Let's drop it. Let's drop love? it. Let's uh, Okay, all right. <laughs> the first category. Okay, how are we feeling about love for kid? Um, hmm. 
I think that Howard Stark genuinely did love Tony. I mean, he just didn't know how to express it. Like my father, <laughs> whoops. He says that everything he built, he built for Tony. And he believed in Tony enough to be certain that Tony was the only person in the world who could take over his life work of building this new element. I would agree, I would agree, but I would take a point off because referring to your child as a creation when you're an inventor is just like a little <laughs> weird. Like, does he love him as a son or as a prodigy? See, mm -hmm. that's a good question. Very much, I, I, I do feel like Geppetto vibes. It's like, all right, you're my greatest <laughs> puppet creation, my wooden boy, Tony. Big time. <laughs> I'm a real boy. I don't know. I want to go off and explore. What is that? that was, I love that voice in the new in the new Pinocchio. Love it. Mm. My God. <laughs> All right. So let's take a point off and call it a fool. So how he felt on the inside aside. How about treatment of kid, Anna? I'd give him a two for that one. I mean, Ooh. Tony did say that his dad never said he loved him or even that he liked him. And in fact, we get a flashback to when Tony is younger and he begrudgingly maybe, but he says, I love you. And his dad doesn't say anything back, like not even goodbye as he left for another one of his many trips that made him completely absent from Tony's life. So right. like he gets a point for not killing him, which is a low bar, but to be fair, for some of the dads we'll be looking at, we got to take it into consideration, so. Yeah, I think that's fair. I feel like uh, one point for not killing your kid is uh, more than fair, because a lot of dads don't Generous. get that point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. But for involvement, I would also give that a two, because like you said, mm. he has always taken trips and that made him a pretty absent dad. And enrolled Tony in boarding school, which made him even less involved. And he was at least around here mm. and there though, which is, Sort of good. Yeah, what about what about emotional availability? I would give that um, a 25. <laughs> Just kidding, no, oh, a one, straight up. generous. Straight up, okay. cold. it was a straight up cold father. Uh, yeah, yeah, Howard Stark was just more all about his science and his nerd stuff than uh, being a, a good and caring father who wants to throw baseballs with his son. <laughs> so lame. And then dependability, maybe like a like a generous two. How can you depend on someone who's not there, you know? True. You can maybe like financially depend on him, but that's about it. Okay, but what about role model potential? I think this one's interesting. Right? And Tony hated how he was raised and despised his dad for it. But also, I mean, he did take on the company and the tech and whatnot, so... Right, right. You can't hate that badly when you inherit yeah. everything. So maybe like a three? Bringing the total up to 14 points for Howard. All right, here's with another daddy, Anna. Daddy expert Anna, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you for using my <laughs> official title. Doctor, Dr. Daddy expert Oh, Anna, doctor, yeah, right. Uh, Let's do, let's do Hank Pym, because that dude mm. always felt a little bit off to me. Hank Pym is Hope Van Dyne's father and Ant-Man, and right off the bat, something doesn't seem right, since they work alongside each other, and yet she calls him Hank, and then later casts the vote that kicks him out of the company. We find out that when her mother dies when she was young, Hank gets lost in grief, and she doesn't see him for two weeks, and then he decides to send her off to boarding school. Fast forward, and we see that her relationship with her dad has grown, and they're cool now, but... Holy tamale, he ain't winning any Father of the Year awards. Yeah, not at all. Uh, but, love of kid, what would you give him? I'd say the same thing as Tony, that, that I think mm. Hank genuinely loved his daughter and wanted to keep her safe, but just didn't know how to show it. So, Morgan. Right. Okay, four, all right, all right. For treatment of kid, I would say, like, a three? No, I mean, mm. they, they do have a good relationship now, but 
boy, not talking to your kid for two weeks after their mom died and then sending them to boarding school right after. That's a, it's kind of a dick move. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of rough. Yeah, 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 <laughs> pretty rough. And for that same reason, I'd give involvement a three. Gone yeah. for a good portion of her childhood. But then, I mean, she worked for his company and I think they might have lived together. I'm still not 100% sure. There's that like breakfast scene in the house. We stopped serving breakfast at 11.30. I want breakfast. Yeah, well, hey, I'm really sorry. Yeah, well, hey, I'm really sorry too. I don't know, maybe? Yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but if they did live together, I would understand because uh, money and, and uh, the economy. Money. Because money. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, either way, he wasn't that uninvolved in her life, you know? True. In emotional availability, I'd give like a two, like we're throwing out twos. He eventually learns to open up a little bit, but when she needed him the most, he wasn't there, which is, you know, what really counts. And same for dependability. I'd give it a three, because I think he would generally sacrifice himself for her, but wasn't there when she was a kid. And, and then for role model potential, I'd say three actually, because despite mm. disliking him for a good amount of time, she does actually look up to him. So that brings our total for Hank Pym to 18. 18, all right. Well, let's do another Avengers parent, Odin. Because Odin is the biological father of Hela and Thor and the adopted father of Loki. And Hela was the firstborn and Odin raised her to be a warrior to help him conquer the Nine Realms. And she was assigned the role of his executioner and commander of his army. But she got a little bit too power hungry. And when she wanted more war, Odin banished her to hell. And then he found Loki abandoned by the frost giants because of his size and took him in raising him alongside Thor and trying to keep the fact that he was adopted a secret. But the siblings saw the clear preference for Thor and Loki turned bitter because of that preference. And fast forward and Thor tried to stir shit up with the frost giants, of course, but Odin wasn't having any of that shit. So he banished Thor to earth along with Mjolnir, also known as Mjolnir, if you are a uh, fancy person. <laughs> now fast forward more and Loki finds out the truth about his adoption and out of anger, he lets the frost giants into Asgard while his father is in the Odin sweep. Boy, and having a nice little nappy. Um, and then kills Laufey in the name of his father. Mixed messages much? A little bit, yes. Um, but fast forward more, and there's a lot in these movies, um, and Loki hurls himself into a pit at the rejection of his father. But he's alive and there's a trial and Loki is locked away, but then he escapes and then Loki disguises himself as Odin and then ex and exiled him to Earth. And then they find him and he's like, yo, your sister's coming and I love you, uh, but I'm gonna die now. And then he dies. I think that about sums it up. <laughs> it's good enough for me. And let me tell you, MT, this dude drives me crazy, man. But I'll I'll save it. I'll save my thoughts. Let's rate him. Give him, you know, let's let's give him his fair trial. So love for kids. Um I'd give him a three because mm. he does hold love in his heart for like one and a half kids. This is true. In treatment of kids, um, it's like he's not an asshole, but his parenting style kind of really sucks. Like his version of grounding is just banishing people. That's kind of wild, but he does try to raise them with some love at least. So how about a three? That's fair, that's fair. I'd probably say the same thing for involvement. Like aside from the one he banished to hell for literal millennia, he definitely was involved in the other two's lives. It's true, that's true. And for emotional availability, I feel like he's kind of available. I mean like he's when he's warm, he's warm, but when he's cold, that dude is cold. Um, very cold, especially when he's dead. Okay, okay, but how about when Loki finds out he's adopted and he's absolutely pouring his heart out in despair and Owen's just like, 
I'm so sleepy. I can't. I can't hear. Wow, I'm so, so boring. I'm sorry. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. And then he literally falls asleep. <laughs> uh, we'll say three again. Uh, but how about dependability? Well, how can you depend on someone who's asleep? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Like you're really caught up on the sleep thing, though. Okay, but can his kids depend on him? I mean, he did forgive some of Loki's antics when Loki needed him, but there were also other times where he was like totally fine with Loki dying or Hela mm. dying or even Thor dying. And he was a little, just a little too K-Sara-Sara for me. So I'll give him a two there. Okay, okay. And as a role model, not completely terrible. Like being a ruler of Asgard mm. is pretty cool. But two out of his three kids didn't really like his ruling style, so I'll give it a three. Uh, but he, he definitely could have been better, could have been worse, which brings Odin's dad score to like a 17. But who's next, Anna? I would like to examine Thaddeus E. Thunderbolt Ross. Mm, Daddyus Ross. Daddyus Ross, that's right. Daddyus Ross. Mm. Daddyus Ross. Otherwise known as Betty Ross's dad in The Incredible Hulk, which is... The only time you see her in the MCU. Yep. <laughs> but, I mean, their relationship is a major plot point of that movie. Things start to go south when Betty and Bruce are recruited into a program commissioned by her dad to recreate a super soldier serum, which they were lied to about uh, regarding the serum's true purpose. Things go south, Bruce goes green, and Thaddeus Ross goes, we're deleting all this data, and also, I'm gonna get you and then dedicated his entire life's mission to capturing Bruce Banner, which is obviously a problem for Betty because, Daddy, I love him. <laughs> and all of this ends in her telling him not to speak to her as his daughter ever again. So, love for kid? Where do Ooh. we jump in? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I hate to continue the trend, but I'm going to have to give him a four because, like, I think he loves her and generally tries to make the effort. Uh, he's just yeah. really, he's just a hard ass. He's a military dad. Yeah, and honestly, like, I think Thor for treatment of Kid, too, because sure, he was cold and uncaring towards her boys, but, like, she's fine. She's fine. She's totally fine. She's, 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 she's turned a out scientist. great. She's a genius. <laughs> she's a genius that just likes dating bad boys. Everyone has their no. bad boy phase. It's fine. Everyone's got their um, phase. It's a phase. <laughs> Involvement is kind of weird because it's, it's not like we get to see her childhood after her mom died in the movie, but there has to be some reason that she feels distant enough to refer to him as general instead of dad. So like, maybe like a three? That's fair. I'd, I'd probably say the same for emotional availability too, because honestly, there were moments where I feel like he's very willing to have a fair conversation, but mm. also he outright admits that his duties supersede his personal feelings in the movie. Mm. So three. Yeah, I would say three is, three is pretty fair. Um, dependability, though, I'd have to give him a two. Because uh, the only thing she's super passionate about is protecting Bruce. And he doesn't really give a f about that. He's the kind of dude to be like, you can have anything you want, kitten. And she's like, anything? And he's like, anything, kitten. And she's like, um, how about you don't kidnap my boyfriend, father? And he's like, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> 100%. And for role model potential... Regardless of his rank or position, she definitely doesn't look up to him. Like, she even mm. disowns him. So, I mean, what is that? It's like a, probably like a two. 
Like, two? Like two. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And that makes <laughs> Daddyus Ross's score an mm. 18. Well, let's move on to a different not so great dad. Because um, speaking of hard asses, let's talk about Wenwu, um, Shang-Chi, and Xiling's father. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Because everything was sunshine and roses for Wenwu and his family up until his wife died. Because that will well, kind of put a damper on most moods. Um, if you're kind of I mean, a bummer. If she was nice, anyway. Um, and then things went really south, like really quickly, because hellbent on revenge, Wenwu started his son on a rigorous, painful training regimen at just seven years old, when um, he should have been bringing his son to Chuck E. Cheese or some shit, and took him to watch as he beat up and killed people who had information on finding the person who murdered his wife. And while training his son to kill, he was completely ignoring his daughter, unable to even look at her because she reminded him of his dead wife, which is messed up and uh, definitely gave uh, Shai Ling some trauma, childhood trauma, yeah. not the best That's type of trauma. That's gonna be a therapy session. Um, a yeah, therapy, therapy session later. or 12,000. And when Shang-Chi was 14, Wenwu sent him on a hit to kill his mother's assassin. And although Shang-Chi succeeded, Shang-Chi chose not to return, instead running away to the United States. Six years later, Shai Ling followed suit and escaped. Blah, blah, blah. Cut to years later when they're adults and Wenwu starts hearing his wife's voice telling him that she's alive and being kept in Talo as a prisoner. So he sends his henchmen to steal his siblings' necklaces, fight Shang-Chi as he tries to stop him from opening the gate to evil, and then gets his soul sucked out when the Dweller in Darkness is released. Tale as old as time. Um, so many people have written <laughs> about this very tale so many times. The Epic of classic. Gilgamesh, actually. This very story. <laughs> Absolutely classic. So where do, we, where do we even start with this one? Okay, so love for kid. He does love his kids deep down, Mm. but potentially loves one as a weapon and then completely ignores the other one. Right. Maybe like a three? Yeah. Three. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, three's is, three, a generous three. One. Let's say a generous three. <laughs> generous three. <laughs> um, for treatment of kids, uh, just to summarize, he pushes years of harsh training on one of them, kills in front of him, and then when they're adults, send people after them, imprisons them, tries to kill one of them when they stand in their way, and, as a cherry on top, blames Shang-Chi for his mother's death to his face as a young boy. I will grant one, one very generous point for how they were treated before the mom died, and because it truly seems it, like he doesn't want to kill Shang-Chi, but he would rather him rule by his side. So like, a two, a two. That uh, is that is very generous, generous of you. Yes, and thank for you. involvement, I will grant that same point of mercy because mm. it looked like he was a very involved father before the mom passed. At least we saw them play DDR once, and really, yes. what can we expect? The ultimate our family bonding activity. <laughs> uh, and he does say that even after the kids ran off, he had always known where his children were, which tells me that maybe he allowed them to keep their distance like they wanted while he kept a watchful eye on them, maybe, which is mm. either sweet or creepy. So, three. <laughs> it's sweet and creepy. Sweepy. Or like both. Sweet and creepy combination. Um, sweepy. Like Odin. <laughs> very sweepy. That was very sweepy. <laughs> <laughs> but for emotional availability, I think we can all agree is a one. He completely shut that side down with his kids once his wife died. So yeah, he was not available at all. Definitely. Dependability, I'll give 
a two because he gets mm. one point for finally deciding to give all the rings to Shang-Chi. Maybe yes. a little too late. It's like, come on, man, right as he's dying. <laughs> but still, he did make the decision. And that was yes. probably the one dependable thing that he did. And then role model potential would be like a two because Shang-Chi didn't want to be like his dad at all. He did, however, have to use both his father and mother's fighting styles that he learned from both of them to win in the end. And his father's teachings did have an importance of some sort. So, which would make Wenwu's total score a 13. 13? Uh, yeah, 13. Okay, okay. Um, yes, before we do our last five daddies, be sure to head to DirectorsMerch.com to grab our newest, latest obsession shirt, Cosmic Daydream. This shirt, inspired by the Miss Marvel series, is limited edition and won't last long. And when you buy this latest obsession shirt, you unlock the opportunity to get a custom shout out on Inside Marvel, our Miss Marvel after show, hosted by Eric Voss and me, MT, the man with the dimples. So check out all of our awesome merch options over at NewRockstarsMerch.com. Yeah, get one for your dad. Hey, get one for a dad. Get one yes. in the name of dads. In the name of dads. Dads. And where would dads be without their kids? Like, do you know a kid who has a dad? Just buy a shirt for, for that. Just oh, buy a shirt for your dad. I want to do a kind of controversial parental figure, and that is okay. Yondu Udanta. Ooh. So as we know from Guardians of the Galaxy, Yondu was given orders to kidnap Peter Quill as a child. But when he mm. found out that turning him over would mean Peter's death, he decided to keep him, in turn raising him to be a Ravager. Now, it's no secret that growing up, he would constantly tease Peter and tell him that his shipmates wanted to eat him, which scared Peter quite a bit, understandably, and eventually led to him leaving the Ravagers. However, Yondu hunted him down when he obtained an orb that Yondu and his crew wanted, and when he caught up to him, Yondu beat him up for betraying him and almost killed him before being convinced by Peter and Gamora to turn his sights on a greater treasure. Fast forward to Guardians 2, and Yondu and his crew are helping the Guardians of the Galaxy fight Ego, and Yondu ultimately sacrifices himself by saving Peter's life by giving him his flight suit and thereby suffocating and freezing to death. Wah, wah. Tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> and I will now let MT say the line that he's been dying to say. Go for it. <coughs> he may have been your father, boy. But it wasn't your daddy. Oh my God, am I, I, am I Michael Rooker? I think I am. That's wow. perfectly delivered. I, I couldn't even tell the difference. We might get a copyright <laughs> strike for that. I don't know. So some people think he's the best dad a guy could have and some people think he's pretty bad. What do we think? Well, we, we gotta look at the numbers because love for kid, I would say that, that that's like at least a four. I mean, I think he did love Peter and he saved his life, but like more than once in fact, but he got a little bit too close to killing him when he caught him in the first movie. So like, like he was literally like mid whistle, but like he was about to literally about to kill him. What? One strong whistle, that kid was dead. You can, you can give him some points for not killing him, but when a dad almost kills his son, you gotta look twice at it. You gotta be like, hmm, okay, all right. I'm gonna bump treatment right down to a three though, cause he might've brought him into the family, but he also picked on him, roughed him up, scared him, mm. and did a pretty bad job of showing him any sort of warmth. What about involvement, yeah. though? Involvement. I mean, I mean, he raised him for sure, but also he was raised to steal. So a bit of a questionable mm. upbringing. So I'll still give it a four. Okay, emotional availability, though. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he, he had a really tough exterior and criticized Peter for being a softy, for having feelings, which how dare you as a as a okay. man have feelings? Um, that kind of toxic feelings? masculinity Gross. gets a two for me. 
Uh, because <laughs> men should be able to express their feelings. Preach, MT, preach! <laughs> so, for dependability, while he did try to kill him once, this dude not only kept him alive as a child and took him under his wing, but he made the ultimate sacrifice and died for him. That's as dependable mm. as it gets. So I think that deserves True. a four. I totally agree. But gotta admit, though, as a role model, he's probably not the best seeing as he stole, yeah. kidnapped, and ravaged in general, just general ravaging, not a good role model thing. But at Yondu's funeral, Peter did say that Yondu had what he idolized in David Hasselhoff as a kid. And that was going on kick-ass adventures, hooking up with hot women, and fighting robots. So that's gotta be worth a point. So bumping that up to a two, because you know, uh, that's just great, great role model potential when you're um, kicking, kicking robots and hooking up with hot women. All that stuff. I mean, <laughs> my dad does it. No, he's very respectful towards women. I love you, dad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Scratch it. So that gives Yondu an official score of 19, which is that's hey, not bad at all, actually. Not bad at all. Um, Anna, I feel like we got to address a, a big purple elephant in the room. Uh, no. We got to do it. I told it. you I would never speak to him again. He knows what he did. Oh, okay. <laughs> does he owe you money? That's uh. <laughs> Jeez. But no, there's one MCU bad dad that I feel like most people think of when they think of when they hear this prompt. Is it Thanos? Is it Thanos? It's Thanos. It's Thanos. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, Thanos has quite a few um, <laughs> um adopted, uh, stolen children. Um, there's Gamora and Nebula, of course. And then there's also uh, Ebony Maw, uh, Cull Obsidian, uh, Proxima Midnight. Um, and Corvus Glaive, all of whom he stole from lands that he conquered. And that dude was just literally just collecting orphans like Pokemon. It was uh, quite, <laughs> quite weird. He trained them to be warriors and assassins and frequently made Gamora and Nebula fight each other, which is not a good thing for sisters to do. If your sisters out there do not fight with violence and whenever Nebula would lose, he would literally replace one of her body parts with a robotic body part to try to make her stronger. Instead of giving her encouragement or anything, he was just like, all right, this arm is just not good enough. Let's give her a stronger arm, you dummy. Yeah, you know, MT, that's why I'm so weak. It's because my dad uh, never replaced my body parts when I lost a fight. Man, dads need to step their game up these days. You know, it's like, if you're not replacing your kid's body parts, what are you doing as a father? What are you doing? I mean, what are we doing here? SMH, come on, man. Well, Gamora was the first to openly hate Thanos, eventually both sisters turned against him and fought against him and their other siblings. Fast forward to Avengers Infinity War and Thanos, in an attempt to force Gamora to tell him the location of the Soul Stone on Vormir, tortures Nebula in front of her. So Gamora gives in and then they go to the location of the Soul Stone on Vormir, only to throw Gamora off of a freaking cliff when he's told in order to get the Soul Stone, he must sacrifice someone he loves. So, is this potentially the MCU's worst father, Anna? Well, I... Okay, so love for kid, I can't exactly give a one because he oh. did love Gamora, otherwise he wouldn't have gotten the stone when he sacrificed her. Mm. But the other five kids, I don't think he gave a rat's ass about. So I'll give it a two. You know what? Yeah, I think a two is fair because he, he, he definitely did love Gamora, as we saw. Um, he proved it by getting that pebble. Um, but regardless about how he felt, though, he definitely gets a one for how he treated them because he even killed Gamora, who he supposedly loved. And I don't think throwing someone off a cliff is a love language. Like, I, it's been a while since I've read the love language book, but, um, you know, I've only saw, I only saw five. And, uh, but, you know, yeah. they're, they're always adding new languages every day. So maybe throwing someone <laughs> off a cliff is just a way to tell someone you love them. Throw your dad off a cliff next Father's <laughs> 
<laughs> Next Father's Day, you know what to do. Get a Groupon. <laughs> Get a Groupon. <laughs> but yes, um, combine that with all the torture and killing of their families. I, I don't think you could give them a score higher than a one here. That'd be kind of... Yeah, agreed, agreed. For involvement, I'll say a three, because while he mm. was involved in their lives all growing up, most of that was making them fight and kill, so, you know, <laughs> not exactly taking them to swimming practice. What do you mean that's the same thing as swimming practice, Anna? That's the same uh, thing. I went Jeez. to the wrong camp growing up. <laughs> I went to Camp Hunger Games, and I'd oddly give Thanos a three for emotional availability, because while I do feel... Like he'd hear them out on whatever you wanted to talk about. He even chooses to sit on the ground instead of the throne after Gamora says that she always headed the throne in Infinity War. I don't think that you could convince him to say, not kill half the people in the universe with any number of tears. He's, he was pretty dead set on doing that. He would she not tried. listen to his, Gamora tried, she tried. that. <laughs> And dependability definitely gets a one. Did we mm. did we mention he replaced Nebula's body parts and tortured her? Like, can you, is it possible to rely on a guy like that? No. He shows no. time and time again that his plans come first and he expects his kids to put those plans above all else too. Boo. Boo. Oh, got him. Um. Got him. <laughs> oh, got him. I, I booed him. He's going to watch this video. He's going to feel disrespected. <laughs> but as far as being a role model goes, kind of depends on the perspective. Like Gamora and Nebula both ended up hating him. And while you could argue that his other kids, along with Gamora when she was younger, strived to make him proud, a big part of that was probably due to fear, brainwashing, or just straight up Stockholm Syndrome. So he gets a two. Which brings Thanos to a 12, which is mm. the lowest so far, but is mm. he the worst dad we can think of? I want to talk about my personal least favorite, General Drakov. Oh, this piece of shit. I fucking hate this man. Uh, he was her dad, right? Yeah, he, had, yeah, he was technically yeah, yeah. a dad. Yeah, hard to believe, but yeah. Drakov was Antonia Drakov, a.k.a. Taskmaster's father. Drakov mm. was in charge of the Red Room, the Soviet training program that turned young women into weapons. He was mm. the one that bought Natasha Romanov from her family and then had her mom assassinated when she went looking mm. for Natasha. But... This isn't about his relationship with Natasha, but with Antonia. And oddly enough, Drakov never put Antonia through the Red Room growing up. He allowed mm. her to live a relatively normal life, going to school and even having a pretty close relationship with her dad. Things changed, mm. however, when Black Widow and Hawkeye, in an assassination attempt, detonated a bomb in Drakov's office where Antonia was visiting. Although they both survived, Antonia's face was disfigured, and to keep her alive, Drakov put a chip in the back of her neck that allowed him complete control over her. And after that, mm. he did put her through the Red Room and turned her into an assassin that could mimic people's fighting styles. From then on, although she was by his side as an assassin, he treated her lukewarm at best, talking about her as if she's not there and even calling her difficult to look at. When she's finally freed from her mind control by Natasha, her first words are, is he gone? Chilling. Yo, that dude was a piece of shit. I fucking hate Drakov. Oh. Why'd you make him so terrible, Marvel? <laughs> it's bad. It's so bad. Literally, I cannot stand Drakov. That dude straight up sucks. Mm. But for love of kid, the fact that he didn't want to put her in the red room before the accident is probably a good indicator that there was some type of genuine love there mm. that seemingly almost completely disappeared after the accident when she got more ugly. What the was that about Drakov, you piece of shit? Like, are you just, I'm just, you're not, like, you were totally fine before. I'm not gonna put you in the red room, but now that you're ugly, <laughs> I don't care if yeah. you die. What is wrong with you? It's like a reverse oh, sorry. ugly duckling 
sort of situation. <laughs> Yikes. It's like the ugly duckling gets uh, spy training. I would read that book. First of all, I would read that book. <laughs> I really would too. That'd be amazing. But some of the things he says and does might have a reason to them. Like maybe she's difficult to look at because he's pained remembering the accident, sort of like when Wu was pained to look at Shai Ling. Um, because Shiling reminded him of his dead wife. But either way, he gets a three maximum, and that's pretty generous. Um, go to hell, Dracov. I hope you're burning there as we speak. The end. I'll I agree with like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the treatment's got to be a one. He barely acknowledges her as a person, and considering mm. her first words when she regains consciousness are, is he gone? Mm. Like, dear God, that speaks volumes. Plus, yeah. he was constantly berating and abusing women in front of her and just talking shit about females in general. Ugh, not one. I feel like involvement, though, it's got to be like a three, like Thanos got, because it's sort of the same deal here. He kept her alive by his side all growing up, but also turned her into this mindless assassin for most of her life. So sort of just basically using their, his kid as a tool like Thanos did. Right. And it's a one for emotional availability. Like, you think you can talk to this man? Bro, I don't know what you're talking about. I When I had my first high school crush, I went straight to Dracov. And he was like, hey, how strong is this crush? Would she, like to, <laughs> would she like to join the red rope? And I was like, no, Dracov, what's wrong with you? Uh, I don't think that's sorry. a good heart-to-heart, -heart MT. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, it, it didn't go well. <laughs> And dependability is also a one. He already has literally put her in the line of fire by making her his bodyguard. He, and he is more than happy to run and leave her behind when he is in danger. Dad of the year. And for role model potential, he's still a one. Who wants hey. to grow up to kidnap girls, give them hysterectomies, and make them killers? This guy is the worst. The worst. Ugly. So ugly. The score does seem to reflect this because Dracov's score is a staggering 10. Um, I would love to give him a negative 10. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Well, we have to play fair. We have to be impartial judges, MT. Yes. But I need Unlike a palate cleanser after that one. Hit me with a palate cleanser, please. All right, I've got a dad that most people love to hate, and that is Alexei Shostakov. In Black Widow, we learn that Alexei Shostakov, the first Soviet Russian super soldier, is sent undercover to act as an American family alongside his surrogate wife, Melina Vostokov, and his two surrogate daughters, Natasha Romanoff and Yelena Belova. Why, why can Yelena have the off? Like, they, they had a whole off theme going. Vostokov, Romanoff, oh, yeah. Shostakov, Hey, you Belova. did great with those names, though, gotta say. Yes, really good. And he lived a seemingly normal life in Ohio for three years before S.H.I.E.L.D. agents found them and they had to flee. Gotta go fast! And at this point, uh, Alexei and Melina were working for the Red Room and Natasha had been through it once, but Yelena had not. And the three years that Yelena had spent with her surrogate family was real to her. And after the family escaped, Alexei gave the two girls back to Dracov to go through the Red Room, despite them pleading to stay, which is really f***ed up. And the next time we see Alexei is in prison due to Dracov having incarcerated him. And the now adult reconnected sisters rescue him from the prison in an attempt to get information about the Red Room's location. And after being reunited, Alexei shows his immaturity and inability to let go of his glorified past fighting Captain America. And he calls their three years undercover tedious and says he's proud of how many people his girls have killed over the years and is mostly concerned with fitting into his old Red Guardian costume and reuniting a spark with their surrogate mother, Melina. And he teams up with them to take down the Red Room and afterwards, the relationship seems to be on the mend as they part ways again. So this dude is definitely goofy, but is he a bad parent? Well, a 
looking at love for kid, there's definitely some level of love there. But mm. how much love can he really have for two people he was assigned to spend three years with, you know? True. And he was definitely thinking more of himself than his daughters over the years. So I'm going to give him a three. But what about treatment of kids? It's a mixed bag. I think he was probably a pretty good dad in those three years and was able to connect with Yelena later on by singing her her favorite song. But also, I wouldn't say handing them over to the Red Room and then peacing out was the coolest thing a dad could do in the world. Not cool at all! Plus, there was that general selfish pigheadedness that he showed them when they rescued him. But he did help them fight in the end, so I'd say that's another three. Yeah, for involvement, I'd say maybe a two, though, because... Three out of 30-something years isn't a great ratio. And he was even kind of mentally checked out during those three years since he really stressed how boring those years were, which is so harsh. <laughs> sort of like uh, Odin being bored when Loki was complaining to him. He was like, ah, oh, oh my god. <laughs> Alexi wishes he could go to the Odin sleep for those three years, I'll tell you what. But yes, emotional availability gets a four, though, because he does have that heart-to-heart -heart with the Elena when she's upset. But also... He definitely seems like the type to make a joke out of everything or bring it back to himself and his amazing fights That's with valid. Captain America. Valid. For dependability, I mean, can you really depend on this guy to save your life or even like <laughs> to take your clothes out of the dryer when they're done? He pulls through for the girls in the end, so for that I'll give him a three, but like, mm. I wouldn't ask him to look after my cat. I don't even have a mm. cat, but I still wouldn't ask him, so there. That's true. And then as a role model, this dude's got to be like a two. I mean, the girls are already better role models than him. So I would hope that they would aspire to be more than a sloppy dude who was super obsessed with himself and worked for the Red Room. There's, there's, there's better things that you could be in life. And that brings Alexei Shostakov to a 17. I got to give it to him, though. At least he brings some good comedic relief, you know? Yes. So funny. I, can't, I cannot wait to see him again. Um, he's like one of my favorite new MCU characters. I would love to see him again, absolutely. Yes. Now, MT, we have one more slot, and I think I know exactly who it should go to. Ooh, do tell. So for this last ad, we're going right back to the Guardians of the Galaxy universe. Ooh, a lot of bad dads in that one. What are we talking right? about? Uh, Rocket Raccoon and, uh, and Groot? Hey, don't, don't you put that curse on Rocket Raccoon's name. Listen. How dare you? No, but this dad is one that we're only introduced to vaguely up until the second movie, and that is Peter mm. Quill's biological father, Ego. Ooh, big time douche. Mega douche. Yeah, the largest, the largest douche. So yes. Ego is a celestial who turned himself into a living planet and then created an avatar of himself in order to spread his seeds across the galaxy <laughs> to create extensions of himself, thereby Just causing like Nick mass Cannon. extinction. <laughs> no! <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the one and only Ryan Reynolds asked me to help us all celebrate with the mother of all cocktails, the vasectomy. Lord knows I need one. <laughs> I'm going to have a breakdown. So he wanted to basically spread the extensions of himself, thereby causing mass extinction to all living beings aside from himself. Hashtag just dad things. So he'd go from planet to planet impregnating people and then pacing out, instructing Yondu to collect these kids and bring them to him later. However, mm. every kid except Peter lacked the celestial DNA, so mm. he killed them. When he heard that Peter held an infinity stone and didn't die, he was like, oh, family reunion time, and went out to find him. <laughs> 
He finds him, gains his trust, discloses his plan for Peter to help him take over existence, puts him in a trance, and then reveals that he was the one who put the tumor in Peter's mom's brain. Woof. This causes Peter to snap out of it and turn on Ego. So Ego sends a giant blue energy tentacle stabbing through Peter's chest, tells him he's going to spend the next thousand years as a battery, and breaks his favorite Walkman. So, Ooh. let's rate! Rate! Yes! I'd Great. say Love of Kids is probably a one since he uh, killed off thousands of his children when they didn't meet his standards. Uh, but even worse, he broke uh, Peter's Walkman. No, unacceptable. So uh, that definitely <laughs> gives worse. him a one. He basically only cared about what Peter could do for him and not Peter the person himself. All right. For treatment of kids, I'll throw on a single point, considering it's, as you specified, treatment of alive kids. And <laughs> up until he tried to turn Peter into a battery, he's somewhat chill. But the killing of his so mom chill. and breaking the Walkman and attempted murder were not cool. So, two. Yeah, generally not cool things to do um, to your kid or to anyone. Don't do that. Um, but involvement gets a big old one, considering that he wasn't part of Peter's life at all until he had something that Ego wanted. So, yeah. Yep, one. and I'd say emotional availability is a one too, because after all, the only person he started genuinely getting close with, he gave a brain tumor because he was having too many feelings. I can't have those feelings. Totally terrible. <laughs> those feelings, they come back, comes back around. They always no come feelings. back around. Um, and yeah, dependability has also got to be a one, because again, he was gone for 99.9% .9 of Peter's life growing up, so. So, Maybe controversial, but I think we should give role model potential a two because mm. for a brief minute there, being an ultimate being was not too bad of a deal. It was only ego's corruption that mucked things up, but there was a spot of potential for something really beautiful in different hands. Giving ego a total score of eight. So who is the worst dad in the MCU? The mathematically proven answer is ego the living planet. And oh. here is the ranking of all the other dads on our list. Hello, this is Alexa the editor. I'm briefly interrupting to add Bucky to the dad list. I know he ain't a dad, but I can make him one. Honorable mention to Laufey, Loki's biological frost giant dad. Now, the thing that keeps him from this list is there's a what if episode where Loki wasn't born a runt and Laufey did raise him and Loki turned out to be a pretty chill dude. And since the what if universes are canon, it made ranking him a little bit too tricky. Um, another audible mention that we have is Norman Osborn and Adrian Toomes, AKA the Green Goblin and the Vulture in the Spider-Man movies who we considered, but who turned out to be pretty chill dads despite being villains. So good job, I guess. Especially a, Adrian. A plus, maybe? A minus, maybe. <laughs> minus. Okay, fair. But this brings us to a box of scraps. Built it in a cave in a box of scraps. Wow, my first time in the box of scraps. It's beautiful. Are we inside the box of scraps? All right, buddy. Who is your favorite MCU dad? Ooh, well, I gotta say, I have a, a favorite MCU daddy, if you will, and Ooh. that is Mr. Paul Rudd as Scott. Oh my Lane. god, you stole mine! So good. He's so good. He so plays good. with his daughter and is so yes. cute. And I love his dynamic so much with his kid. It's yeah, Paul Rudd's a handsome man, a handsome daddy. He's, gotta say, he's a looker. So he's he's he gonna be a. He's my favorite MCU daddy for sure. What I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna steal your answer and say Scott Lang as well because like there is no dad in the MCU better than Scott Lang. He's so good with Cassie and like to the point where like 
I don't know. It's just like Cassie wants to be like his dad. And like she she wants to be uh, like a, an Ant-Man style hero, which she will be in Young Avengers. So I'm very excited to see her live up to her, her father's legacy. Um, but yes, yeah. that is it for this episode of Big Question. Thank you so much to wow. Anna for joining me on this episode. She's amazing. Follow her at It's Anna Vanson on Twitter and all of her other amazing stuff she does, especially on TikTok. She's, she's really great. And you can follow me at Mastertainment. You can follow the new rock stars here on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. And make sure to hit that notification bell so you can get notifications every time we upload a video. But yes, you guys are amazing. We love you guys so much. And we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. <laughs>